So, last week I talked about uh, Christmas and how it was good to be home for Christmas this past, uh, well, this year, a couple of weeks ago. And by home, I do consider this home, don't get me wrong. I consider being with my family home. I consider Monroe City home. But when I say home for Christmas, I mean home with my parents, you know, like it was when I was little and my mom's, you know, sneaking in and she's putting the stockings beside our beds and all this stuff, which... Nowadays, the stockings are actually Walmart bags because there's too much stuff for the stocking. But, but it, it was good to be home, and I told you that. But while we were there at home for Christmas this year, I witnessed something out of a lot of my, mostly my nieces. I guess my nephews were at a different house, and they were doing something different the whole time. But, but I, I witnessed my nieces and my, my daughters enjoying video games that I played when I was a little kid. You know, they had, my, my parents have gotten one of those little Nintendos that are out now that are about a fourth of the size of the original Nintendo system that came out. And um, for teenagers, when I say the original Nintendo, I'm, I'm not talking the Wii or the 64 or any of those things. I'm talking the original gray box NES that you can buy for $300 on Amazon right now, or you can buy for $30 a little one that has 300 games downloaded on it, and you can play those, and you don't have all the issues that we had with the old games back in the day. But, but I sat there, and I witnessed them play this for hours and hours on end, and the, the game that they loved the most was, ironically, the like, original greatest game of all time, Super Mario Brothers. You know, with the, the 2D little figures that are running around, and they get up there, and they jump, and they ding! When they hit, the, little, uh, when they hit the, the coin box and everything, and the coin jumps up in the air and everything, and you get the coin, you got to jump on the shells and all this kind of stuff. I saw them play that for hours and hours on end, but what I didn't witness, I didn't get to see them fully enjoy the full capacity of the original Nintendo system. Because with everything downloaded, they never got to experience what it was like when the game didn't work. And the, the, the exhilaration of trying to fix something, and when I'm saying exhilaration, I'm being fully sarcastic in that, the full frustration of trying to get the game to work again. Because when it's not downloaded, you have to actually mess with the game itself. And I couldn't get a hold of an actual original NES system because, like I said, they're $300 on, on Amazon, and I didn't think of it in time to put something out on Facebook to see if any of you owned one. But uh, someone did have... The N64, and the, the games are, you know, they kind of looked the same as this uh, back then. They were a little bit more squarish, and they were all gray, and they had the little picture on them. They didn't come in fancy yellow colors and things like that. But when the game didn't work, those of you who had it, who are in my age range, you know exactly what I'm about to say. Yep, I see it right over here. You had to take the game, you held it in both palms, and you went... And then you put it in the front of the system, not the... Not the top, like the N64, but you would put it in the front of the system, and when you did that, you had to get it like to where it wasn't quite going to clear when you put it down. Like you were going to push it down, and it was just barely going to catch the lip, and you had to get it down there, and then you had to push it real hard so that it would sneak its way in there, because obviously if you jam it into the system as hard and as fast as you can after you've blown in the end of the game, then it's going to work. It made perfect sense, and it worked like 25% of the time. And then you'd have to pull it back out, and you'd have to start it all over again, or, or you'd have to sit there, and you'd hit the reset button, and you'd go, nope, reset, nope, reset, 
no, and you held your breath every single time just waiting on this game. Like, how many of you are relating to what I'm talking about? I have to know. How many of you are like, this brings back my child? And even a teenager, too. Wow. Like, this brings back childhood right now. And I kind of want to go out and buy an NES now and play these games. And trust me, it wears off really fast. When you get the old system, you're like, wow, this is what we used to think was cool, huh? No wonder our kids make fun of us. But then we got a little bit older, and my brother, he bought himself the N64. And when I say he bought himself the N64, I mean he bought it for himself. He did not buy it for his brothers to play. He bought it for him to play and for us to get to kind of tag along every now and then uh, if he was in a good mood. But my brother, see, he had a job, and he was in sports, and I was young enough I didn't have anything. I got done with school and I went home and I made my bag of microwave popcorn and grabbed my glass of milk. And I understand that's a disgusting combination, but that's what I did every day. And I sat down in front of the TV and I pulled out my brother's N64 controller and I started playing myself some GoldenEye, the original uh, shooter game way back in the day. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing some head nods on that one. The one that started it, the one before Halo and before Call of Duty and before Fortnite, I spent hours playing GoldenEye when I wasn't supposed to be playing GoldenEye because I hadn't actually asked permission to play GoldenEye. So my brother would come home and you know me being the brilliant uh, little kid that I was, always saved my progress because obviously he's not going that I played when I'm suddenly like 10 levels further than I was when he left for school that morning, 10 levels, let's be real, I never made it 10 levels in one day. But he would come home, and then I would go the next day, and all of a sudden, all of my progress was gone because it was his system, not my system, and I didn't ask permission. I got out of the order of how things were supposed to be from the person who actually bought the system. And you're probably sitting here right now going, this is a fun lesson in your growing up years, uh, but why do we care? Well, hopefully, you'll care here in a little bit, because we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 if you want to pull out your Bibles. But when it, came to the, uh, when it came to the NES, they were absolutely great machines when they worked. The problem was there was a lot of time where they just didn't work, and you had to try and restore things back. You had to try and get the game working again. And the other thing about them is you had to start at the game every single time. There wasn't any saving. There wasn't the, the Microsoft cloud out there that would save all of your progress on the Xbox or the whatever Sony uses. I'm, I'm not, I should know, but I don't know what you save it to when you have a PlayStation. We didn't have all those things. But we did have games that sort of sometimes worked, and we played them for hours and hours on end until you had to restore them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. And last week, I, I brought up this idea that for the course of 2021, you know, our word here at the church is going to be restoration. You're going to hear me say that word so many times that, that you might actually get to the point that you're sick of hearing me talk about restoration. But part of it is because we believe that, that we need it. I mean, we, if you look around the world that we live in, it doesn't take very long to realize that we need things restored back to what, you know, something. Many people may not know what that something is. They know that something needs to be restored. And as we look at this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, we see that this isn't a new thing. That we've actually been given this responsibility a long time ago. Now we're going to read through ten verses of this. 
And I'm not going to spend a lot of time dissecting those verses this morning, but we are going to for the next couple of weeks. So I would encourage you, read with me this morning and then take it home and read it again at home. Read through these verses again on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of the week. Digest these words so that when we come back together, you're not, it's not like you're hearing it again for just the second time. But you've been meditating on this all week long. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 11. Paul writes to the church. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we committing ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it is to bring glory to God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling. And remember last week I pointed out that one of the synonyms for reconciling is restoring. So and God has given us this task of restoring people to him. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of restoration. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We, meaning the church, meaning followers of Christ, have been given this ministry of restoration. But, but before we really start to, to talk about what that looks like, I think it's important for us to stop and understand what are we being restored to? You know, if, uh, if we're in a marriage and the marriage is struggling and we get to that point where we say this marriage needs to be restored, well, it, we need to know where is that marriage being restored back to? Is the marriage being restored back to when things were kind of pretty good before they started to go south? Or is the marriage, is our hope that it's restored back to when things were great? Not right up to the point where things started to go bad, but back to where it was just, it was great and we couldn't imagine that anything was gonna be bad on the horizon in the first place. Or, you know, from a, from a music standpoint, um, we have bands break up all the time. When I was in high school, there was a band by the name of DC Talk. Three guys, excellent music. My generation of church-going teenagers, like DC Talk was, they were quite possibly the band that every church-going teenager seemed to know about and seemed to at least know some of their songs. Now, obviously, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it seemed like every teenager knew about DC Talk. And then, all of a sudden, they broke our hearts 
and they decided to break up. And they all went their separate ways, and, and Toby Mac went his way. And if you listen to Caleb or Air One or you're into the Christian music scene these days, you know the name Toby Mac. And then Tate went another way, and he went out on his own for a little while, and eventually he joined the Newsboys, and, and now he's the lead singer of the Newsboys. And then K-Max went out, and, and he went out on his own, and, and then eventually he joined Audio Adrenaline, and then eventually he wasn't part of them anymore either. But they all went their separate ways. And for the last, I think it's 20-ish years or so, there has been this dream amongst my generation of church-going teenagers, I realize I was a teenager a long time ago, but, but going back to my generation, there's been this dream of someday D-Rock is going to be restored back to its original glory, and they're going to go on tour together, and we're all going to be there. And I remember saying, I don't care how much those tickets cost. I'm going to be at the DC Talk reunion tour. When they restore that band back together, and then they finally did for one concert, they came back together, and they did it on a cruise boat. And so I, all those years of saying, I will pay no matter how much, it turns out $1,500 was a little bit too much. And I didn't get to go, but there's still that dream that someday Toby Mac, Tate, and K-Max will come back together. But the truth is, I wouldn't want to go if it was just Toby Mac, Toby Mac and Tate. I wouldn't, just, I wouldn't want to go if it was just Tate and K-Max or just Toby Mac and K-Max. It's got to be all three. It's got to be the full band, fully restored, back together again. That's the concert that I'll go to. And I realize some of the world are these names that he's throwing out. Toby Mac, K-Max, Tate. What is it? Look up DC Talk. It'll make sense to you. My generation, we, we get it. And we can't wait for it to come back together. Other generations have other bands that have split up. But we don't just want part of it. We want the whole thing. And so as we look at this letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and we see that he says that we have this ministry of restoration, this ministry of reconciliation, well, that means we have a ministry of bringing something back together. We have this ministry of fixing something. We have this ministry of hitting the reset button and taking things back to how they're supposed to be. But what in the world, how is it supposed to be? And for that, we've got to go way back to the very beginning of this thing that we call Scripture, to the very beginning of creation. We've got to go way back to a garden. Because as you go back to a garden, back in the first couple chapters of Genesis, you see a creation, you see a world that is created perfect. The relationships are perfect. And I'm not just talking about the relationships between hum humans and humans. I'm talking about the relationship between humanity and the created world itself. That as God created each thing, each day, he says, this is good. And then as man, you know, human comes along and begins to walk, the, the relationship between the human and the earth itself is good. Work isn't seen as this toilsome job that we have to do. You know, going out and farming the ground isn't, isn't just work, it's fulfilling it's exciting, and for some farmers, that's exactly how they feel. Like, this is exciting because I'm using this to, to, uh, to provide for other people, and it's not just to put money in my bank account. And for those people, they, they feel some of this fulfillment. And people in other jobs, sometimes you feel some of that fulfillment. But, but we also go through a lot of life where a job is it's just a job. Like, it's a, well, I need money, and therefore I have to work. And so 
I go to work, and every morning or afternoon or evening, whenever it is that I go, I go back to the grind, and then I'm going to come home, I'm going to try and get some sleep, and I'm going to start the whole thing over again tomorrow. But in the beginning, the way that it was supposed to be, it didn't feel that way. You know, we, we can assume as we read some of the punishment of what came out of behaviors that at one point work was enjoyable and fulfilling for everybody involved. And it was supposed to be that way. The relationship between humanity and the earth was good. Humanity took care of the earth, not just for him or herself, but for the sake of creation itself. You know, the relationship between hum- humans and animals was good. The, you know, man's first job was to go out and to name all of the animals. Like the relationship there was good. The relationship between human and human was good. You know, you read in those first couple of chapters that, that they were walking around, and we read it, and, and I've, I've read this plenty of times with students, and sometimes you get a chuckle, or sometimes you get the, oh, we should go back to that. Like, I like that. But, but it says they walked around naked. And it was perfectly fine. Like there wasn't this sense of discomfort. There wasn't this sense of inappropriate thinking. There wasn't any of that going on. It was just, that's just how it was. And they were unashamed and they didn't see the imperfections on their own bodies. And they didn't see the imperfections on the other person's body. They walked around like that and it was all good because their relationship was that perfect Because it was the way that it was originally intended to be. Now, that's not me saying that we need to restore humanity back to walking around naked. That is not something I'm trying to get through here. Please don't take that out of this. But that's part of what we are being asked to restore is the relationship between human and human. And the relationship between human and creation. And the relationship between human and God. Because as you read through the way this was originally intended to be, Humanity walked in the garden with him and just had conversations with him while they were walking along. The relationship was the way that it was intended to be because the created understood that it was the created and not the Lord over everything. But in the midst of all of this, there was this virus working underneath. And I know we just went through a year where we don't ever want to hear the word virus again, and that's partly why I used it. But there was this virus working underneath. See, I I did a a job for, I think it was five summers, starting after my freshman year of high school, where I worked for my my old science teacher. He was the husband of my old English teacher in middle school. I worked for him in the summers going on a harvest crew. We'd go from northwest Kansas where we lived, we'd go down to Oklahoma, and we would cut wheat down there. When I moved to Colorado, I realized that I needed to pronounce wheat really well when I said what I did for the summers in high school because I don't, can't tell you how many times I said I cut wheat in the summers, and they go, wait, you cut what? Because out there, they cut something that sounds a lot like wheat, but it ends in a different letter, and it was just this whole confusing thing. So I, I learned to be really clear. I cut wheat in the summers. But I, we would go down, and every morning, we had jobs to do to get ready for the day. One of those jobs uh, was to grease the machines. You had to go around, you had to find all the different spots that it had to be greased. You had to, you know, you had to oil the chains and all these kinds of things. You had to make sure the belts were good to go and all that kind of stuff. The other job that the other person would be doing there during this time is they'd be fueling up them and they'd be washing the windows. So on this particular day, 
My job that day um, was not greasing, thank goodness, because I hated that job. I'll be honest with you, I did that job for five years and I'm pretty sure I still don't know where all the spots are that I was supposed to grease on that machine. But the other guy knew and he did it every other day, so it was fine. But on, on this day, my job was to fuel the machines and to wash the windows. And so I, I got up there, I crawled up the ladder, put the fuel, uh, you know, the, the fuel line into the, the tank, and um, I walk down, I start doing the windows, and, and I get distracted, I'm not really thinking about things. Um, I get done with the windows, take it back out, go put it back on the tank on the, uh, on the service pickup, and we get started for the day. Throw the ladder back up, we're ready to roll. And we're going through, and the day's going great. Like, we are making record time. We're taking care of all sorts of acreage. We're, the, the wheat is just flowing into the machine uh, throughout the course of the day. And then all of a sudden, the machine that, that I'm in charge of that day, like, it kind of gives us a little... I'm like, oh, that was weird. And then it starts going again. And then a little bit later, it gives us... And it starts going again. It's like, oh, Oh, what point do I tell Jim, my boss, about this? And, and then we go a little bit further, and finally, it, it gives that again, only at the end of it, it goes, and it just dies right there in the middle of the field. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, we are making such good time today, and I just plugged the machine. Like, I don't even know how this, there's no weeds in this field. It's, what in the world? So I get out, and I'm looking in the header, and I'm looking all over in it, and no problems there, and I pull off some of the shields, and I'm looking in there, and the, and the rotor's fine. It's all good. I'm like, I, I'm looking all, I, I can't find any issues. I'm checking all the belts that I know where they are, but again, I don't know where half the things are, are on the machine anyway, so I'm just kind of acting like I'm looking for stuff. And uh, I finally give in, and I get on the radio, and I'm like, Jim, uh, man, I'm dead out here. I don't know what it is. It's not plugged. I, I don't know what the problem is. So he comes out, and uh, Jim is, he's one of the biggest guys that I've ever known. Tall guy, stocky, but he's one of the gentlest, most soft-spoken people that I've ever met in my life, too. And so he's looking over the machine, and finally he goes around to the back, and I'm walking around acting like I'm looking for stuff, when in reality, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And finally, he kind of points up, and he goes, you think that might be it? And I look up where he's pointing, and I'm trying to follow his finger as to, like, what are you pointing at here? Like, are the rain clouds? Like, am I missing something? Like, what's going on here? Like, obviously, I didn't think there was really rain clouds, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out what he's pointing at. Well, he was pointing at the fuel cap because the fuel cap was not on the machine. Fortunately, it was attached by a spring, so it was hanging to the side. We hadn't completely lost it, but, but the fuel cap was not actually on the machine. So for about four or five hours that day, I'd been cruising through the field in a combine as dust and chaff just filled up. Owen's over here like shaking his head like, oh, this is not gonna end well. So I'm over there and it's just filling up with junk the entire time and it was doing great until that all started to clump up and then eventually the machine would send a clump through the fuel line and that's when I'd get the but it would push it through until finally one of those clumps came through that was too big, and it just couldn't push it through. So we had to take off all the fuel lines, and we had to blow out all the fuel lines, and we had to change the filter, and we'd have to put it all back on. And so, you know, I, I'm covered in chaff, I'm covered in dust, and I'm covered in diesel, and it's just a miserable afternoon. And we go along, and that day's fine, and the next day, wouldn't you know it, 
there was still more stuff in that system and it came through and it clogged up and for the rest of that summer, we dealt with that issue. At the end of that summer, my boss sold that machine and like, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to worry about that anymore. The problem was he sold that machine to my father and so I got to deal with that. Continue, now, I didn't work for my dad as much but my, I should say my dad and my brothers got to deal with that machine for the next several years because no matter what they did, that problem just kept coming back up. And that's kind of what happened way back in that garden. There was this virus that was going on and it clogged up the way things were supposed to be. Man, human, decided that, that they wanted to be lords over their own lives. And instead of following that, those simple boundaries that were put in place and remembering that the most important thing that they could do was love, they decided to put their own needs and their own desires ahead of other people. That day, I decided to put my own daydreams ahead of a very important yet simple task of putting a fuel cap back on the machine when you're done. They decided instead of doing the simple task that God had given them, to put their own desires ahead of all of the created intent. And it's really easy for us to sit here and say, man, they really screwed stuff up. And stop and think, and not stop, I should say, and think about our responsibility in all this. You know, it's real easy to blame people all that time ago for messing up all this created order, but, but it's us that need restored too. Because how many times have you put your own desires ahead of those of somebody else, even though you may know that the, the first thing we're supposed to do is love other people and serve other people? How many times have you put what you want as the most important thing instead of what somebody else needs. How many times have you, uh, or I should ask, have you ever, have you ever stolen something, even if it's small? Like I know when I was a kid, I stole my fair share of, and I'm not gonna say like I always stole, but I stole my fair share of candy bars and, and gum at the store because I needed it more than that store owner needed his 50 cents. Like, let's just be real here. My needs outweighed their needs. And so I occasionally did it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm confessing that to you right now. Or how many times have you lied to somebody because, well, it's, it's just gonna be a lot easier for you if they don't know the truth about something. How many times do we hear about people, and, and maybe some of us, this is our struggle, that we find ourselves on the computer or on the TV looking at images that, that we shouldn't be looking at because we're putting our own desires ahead of the desire, or ahead of the value of the person in the video or the picture. How many times in church do we put our wants and our desires ahead of those around us or those in our community? How many times do we fail to love our neighbor in a moment where they desperately need us to love them because, man, that's just an inconvenient time for me to do something. We all do it. We all have those moments where we say, I'm not loving my neighbor this time because this is gonna be really inconvenient or uncomfortable if I do this. 
that's what we need to restore. That's the ministry that we've been given, that ministry of restoration. That's why we need it. And I've heard the, the questions over the years and the arguments over the years of, well, you say we need to restore this relationship back to what it was intended to be, but, but why did God have to create it that way in the first place? Why can't, he just, why can't he just let things slide? Like, why can't he just let us do what we want to do? And I've run this line of thinking down with people because there, are, there have been plenty of people I've had the conversation with that are like, you know, people should just be able to do whatever it is that they want to do. They should just be able to do whatever it is that makes them happy. And I, I remember very distinctly a conversation I had with a student several years ago while we still lived in Tulsa. I mean, he was sticking to this. Like, people should be able to do whatever they want to do as long as they're happy. And so I decided on this day, we're going to run this down. And I asked him, I said, so what you're telling me is it would be cool with you if somebody stole something from you because they wanted it more than you. And his answer was, well, you know, if they need, I'm just going to assume that they needed it at that time. So it's fine. I said, okay. So you're telling me that it would be okay if somebody just came up to you in the middle of school and just popped you right in the face, like everything they had behind it, that's okay with you. He said, you know, I would just assume that, that they were just having a rough day, and if I could sacrifice my face so that they could have a better day, and at this point, I'm starting to understand, like, this kid's going to be stubborn about all of this. So we go back and forth for a while with this until finally, I don't know that I would do this again. I might. I might not. But I finally just decided, you know what, I've got to get this through. And so I asked him, I said, what would happen if somebody decided to break into your home to rape and murder your mother and your sister? You're telling me that would be okay because people should be able to do whatever they want to do. And he looked at me and he said, well, no, obviously there's limits. And I said, exactly. We have boundaries, we have limits in place. It's easy to say people should just be able to do whatever they wanna do until they do something that we don't think that they should do. Well, they should do whatever they wanna do as long as it agrees with what I want them to do. At some point, there has to be a moral standard that we live by. And that's what we're needing to restore things back to. And people have asked me over the years, why can't God just forgive? Like, why can't he just get over it? And, you know, one of my thoughts is, have you ever seen the family where the kid just gets away with murder and the parents don't teach them anything about what it means to have remorse and what it means to be sorry? You know, parents for generations have said, say you're sorry. And the kids are like, sorry. But what we really want to teach them is to actually be sorry. It's all God's asking for is that we admit that we did something and we have a little bit of remorse over what we did. You know, have, have you seen the families where the kid rules the house? It's not the type of family you typically wanna hang out with for a real long period of time. Because you're actually sitting there the whole time like, get your kid under control. Like it's one thing if the parent's trying and they just can't do it, it's another thing if the parent just doesn't care. It doesn't work when we try to be lords over everything. And I've been asked the question, yeah, but, but what's the point of it anyway? Like, why do we need that? 
Because I personally would like to live in a world full of chaos, but still feel peace. And I personally would like to live in a world full of chaos, but still feel hope and feel joy and feel love and feel life. And as more people are restored back to that, we'll actually see more of that in that world full of chaos. What do we need? We need restored back to that original order of things. That order where we understand that we are not gods and we are not lords, but we are the created. And that the boundaries that were put in place, the boundaries that we push against, the the rules that we push against are actually put there so that we can have the utmost freedom in our lives. There are things that I tell my children not to do, not because I want to take away their fun, but because I actually want them to have more enjoyment out of life. And I know if they do that thing, they're not going to have more enjoyment. They're going to be absolutely miserable. See, my children don't have to ask my permission to do things that I've already told them they can do. Now, they do sometimes, but they don't have to do that. Adam, uh, I love what uh, John Edmund Kaiser writes in Winning on Purpose. He says, Adam didn't have to ask if he could make a fruit salad. He'd already been told your one boundary is don't eat from that tree. You can have anything else around here. You can make a fruit salad out of anything as long as it doesn't come from that tree. Adam didn't have to ask permission. He had a boundary so that he could have limitless freedom because God knew if you eat from there, If you choose to make that decision to make yourself Lord, it will not make your life better. It will make your life worse, and I don't want that for you. So Adam, you can do whatever else you want. You want a kale salad? Well, I'm not sure there was kale in the garden. Let's be real here. God didn't put that in the garden. That came along later. That's another virus that we can talk about later. Adam, you can do all of this. Just don't do this because it's going to make your life worse. That's what we're needing to be restored to is that type of a relationship. And the, uh, the beautiful thing about it is that the offended party in this fractured relationship, in this broken relationship, the offended party is the one who decided to do 99% of the work to restore the relationship. You know, it's like the the spouse who's been cheated on doing all of the legwork in order to restore the relationship. And all the person who cheated has to do is say, I'm sorry, and mean it, and then love after that. They don't have to go to counseling. They don't have to go to, to, you know, all these things to make up for. They don't have to buy all the gifts or any of that type of stuff. They just have to say, I'm sorry, and then love after that. That's all Jesus asks. He gave of his life. He gave his blood. He came all the way to us so that we could have peace, so that we could have hope, and we could have joy, and we could have love, and we could have life, and we could have all that stuff made whole again. And all we have to do is say, I messed up. Forgiveness is already there. We just have to say, I messed up. And then we've got to love after that. That's pretty incredible news. That's actually pretty easy restoration. 
Now, that's not to say there's not gonna be other things that are gonna try and pull you back into the brokenness, but to actually restore that relationship, it's not really all that difficult because he already did all the work. And that's that ministry of restoration that we get to talk about, that we get to share about. If you're here this morning and you don't have that and you're sitting there and you're going, man, my life is broken and I don't have peace with everything going on. Now, when I say peace with everything going on, I don't mean like I'm sitting here going, everything going on is great. I mean like in the midst of everything going on, I don't have peace and I don't have any hope and I don't have any, and I want all of that. Jesus says, I'm here to restore this relationship and I'm offering you all of those things. And I think he'd ask the question, let's get rudely, he would just say, I'm offering this, and it can be done this way, or you can keep doing what you're doing, but I would only ask you, is it working? Is it working out for you? Choice is yours. And if you have already made that decision, he's saying, I've got a ministry for you to do. I've got a ministry for you to not make life about you, but instead to help restore others. And we're gonna continue to restore our relationship. 